Hello and welcome to the latest edition of How Might We? And we've decided we will name this one at the end, depending on where the conversation goes. And today I'm joined by Simon Payne. And I must apologise, Simon, I don't think my music is sort of punky enough for you. The <laughs> music. I think it's, it's quite tame, really. So would you like to introduce yourself to the audience, please? Okay, yes, I'm Simon. I run a business called Punk Incorporated, which has set out to take particularly my industry learning and development um, by the scruff of the neck and say come on let's let's be a bit more forward thinking here let's, let's smash the status quo of our of our industry and, and, and think about some more exciting things so my strap line is I like to kick business individuals and businesses up the arse metaphorically or physically depending on on the situation I suppose the physical one hasn't happened much since COVID, though. We <laughs> no. So, that, yeah, that has to wait, the uh, the physical one. And that sort of re- resonates with me because the, the mission of my organisation, or me, because I am my company, is to change the perception of learning. Yeah. Uh, so we're kind of on the same pathway about hopefully making learning more relevant within organisations or the perception of learning to be more relevant. And as we were talking just before online, a lot of that comes down to our self-awareness and per- understanding perceptions of others. Yeah. So... I think we're going to do something quite interesting. We've talked about earlier about humanizing the workplace and sort of conscious capitalism. And then I gave you a quote that I got, uh, that um, I had from a chap called Guy, who was on one of my previous podcasts about Gen Z. And he said, Generation Z do not have, do not believe in work-life balance. They have life and they work within it. I think we can unpack that a little bit and see how that might uh, look at where we move forward as ideas. Yeah, it's it's I, I've not heard it before, and it's a it's a really lovely, simple way to look at how perhaps we've been getting things wrong for a while. Actually, that so do we need a whole generation to come in and tell us where well, it's just part of of what of of what we do? It's part of our life because it's always been part of our life. But there has been a a big sense of people having a persona at work, you know, they, and then another one outside of work. So they, you walk through the front door and that's, that's your work, that's your work self. And then you've got this other self and there's a big divide in the two, but actually that's, that's not true, is it? We're not two different people or three different people with the same people. So the awareness of Gen Z to say, no, no, it's just me. <laughs> and this is my life and everything within my life, including work is part of that. I think it's, it's, it's very, it's quite an exciting way to think about the way forward. Absolutely. I mean, it reminds me of a comment I heard many times when I used to, when I've worked in the prison service, which is a very sort of tough macho environment. And you get comments, somebody would say, oh, can I go home today because I know they've got problems at home or something's happened at home and then the, the kids aren't very well. And then some managers would say, I employ you, not your family. Oh, I've heard that many a time from leaders in <clears throat> wow. when I used to work there. And I think that that goes to the core of what you were just saying, isn't it? It says that, well, no, you employ this person and this person has a life, which includes things like their their family and it all impacts together. It is just, we're human beings. So why, why do you think then, why do we, why has there been such a struggle between, with that perception that I employ this person and therefore you're here to do a job Yes, we know you've got this life and all this other stuff that there, but that's slightly annoying, if I'm honest, because it means you've got to do other things other than your job. How do how do we get there? 
I, it's an interesting question. How did we get to the point where we saw that that division between work and life? It might even come because at school, it's probably not, is it? At school, you just got friends at school, you go to school, you have fun with school, and then, then you start to think about sort of you go into the workplace and the workplace is, and I think, and this is one area I think we need really, and COVID may well help us, is looking at how we work together as people and saying that the traditional ways of being presenteers and seeing somebody work, and I think it's going to become much more relationship and trust-based. So do you think, think like Jen said, that quote, do we think that they've, have they nailed it? Have they, uh, is, is that aspirational? So they, they don't, is it aspirational for those who don't feel like that? So Gen Z are going to just work in that. All right. That's just what they do. So what do we, what do we need to begin to learn from them? Actually, that's, that's, that's the key here, isn't it? What to, what, why do they feel like that? So what do we need to learn and how do businesses need to begin to learn to adapt to that? Because there's a benefit, not just for that generation. We don't need to just keep them happy, but actually that embodies more about how we should all be working within an organization that it's part of our life and then how do we learn to interact and how do we learn to do our behaviors change when we're just seeing it as it's part of our life deciding how we when we work and how we work change it begins to throw all sorts of stuff into the pot yeah and it's not an area i know a huge amount about so it's mm-hmm. more about just my observations and sort of thoughts on this is when you've got i think the the, um, digitalization of the workplace has created some difference because also there's no requirement now to be in work for a lot of people Mm. in a physical location and therefore work is much more part of life because those boundaries those physical boundaries have have gone and i think covid has created that as well people are people are working from home they've been self-schooling they've been trying to find space to do work but also to live so that, mm. that, that the, the 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 physical boundaries between the two have become very blurred because of covid and i just think that gen z have grown up in, a, in an environment where they live much more in the, where those physical boundaries just didn't exist as much mm, okay between what they were doing and what they were thinking so <clears throat> one of the things I've sort of learned about the, the different generations and, you know, I, I guess we can be a bit, you know, like I'm a Gen X and much as you say, well, none of that stuff really matters. It, it does kind of have a place, you know, my, the old mantra for Gen X is we, what do we do? We, we work to live. Okay. Well, it, it, for me, it, it's really true. You know, that's, that's how I've, my whole career has been around, having fun and having a nice life you know I like that and a good job and money and all that sort of supports that and so what I've learned about sort of the Gen Z is, is that and and beyond is that they're much more social they 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 want to they want more feedback they want more interaction they want more social interaction and it's actually the much more human side of it we maybe associate them with the techie side of it but it's not actually they really want that the interaction part is enormously important so i guess what we've got to do and which is why you know we've been talking beforehand about how we're sort of going about our businesses and who we want to work with and how is being more human in business how do we do more of that that's that's one of the big questions that i'm going to explore and i want to work with with businesses and teams on how do you just remain how do you be more human in business 
without taking away the the core you know purpose of the business which ultimately tends to be make money so how do you fit the two together that's that's the that's what i'm looking for, looking to work towards i think that the the interesting thing is the, the the understanding that those two are not mutually exclusive yeah you don't have to have one or the other i think they both help each other so more if we have a more humanized workplace where people feel more <clears throat> more safe psychologically safe they perform better they're better they do everything better and you will as an organization they will therefore increase productivity and everything else and we know that there's enough research and science around that concept that's been around for many many years do you think uh, like amy edmondson's been researching this for yeah yeah years. absolutely um so it's not new and then you've got people like daniel pink saying the social science around how we motivate people has been known for 40 odd years but businesses are still not built on that understanding of us as human beings it's built on perhaps thinking that when it was built was the best we had an understanding and knowledge of people and knowledge of people has moved on but i don't think the models in which we operate have necessarily followed suit uh, absolutely spot on uh, the it's it's the system that is broken, not people. But, and people have evolved and even faster because of COVID. So the system is broken, but we're still trying to shove people into it. And I don't think we're addressing it fast enough that, you know, you mentioned psychological safety. You know, well, what does that mean? What is the, what, the, what is the heart of it from your perspective, <clears throat> do you think? I think for me, the psychological safety is feeling safe to be yourself without feeling any, any fear about people saying something about you. So that was a crap idea or don't talk to me or don't tell me what to do. So you, you, get, you get shot down or you, your fear about your personality being attacked or you fear about something about you as a human being, you as a person, your, your identity being damaged by something you're doing. So to me, I think that's where the psychological sits is about how can you be your be yourself at work and feel safe to be yourself? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I think fear is the, the that is the key word there. There's a quote: fear is a fear is a great motivator, but a poor advisor. So we don't we can't grow in fear. And the more I think, if people can begin to see the link between building that trustworthiness, which we were talking about, which I think is a, another interesting concept, that psychological safety, I think people have an understanding, it's reducing the fear, it's being able to feel safe to ask questions and challenge and say no, put ideas forward, speak up in meetings, it's, it's, there's loads of different layers, layers to that. And we often associate with that building trust, and then that's an old, old part of learning and development you know trust is the cornerstone trust is the foundation but equally we were talking about that it's trustworthiness what are you what are you doing that's the, the what are you doing that makes you what was it what do you how did you phrase it the, what are you doing today that makes you worthy of somebody else's trust absolutely so link those two together psychological safety and the worthiness you're beginning to build a real foundation there. You know, I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying it's got to be, if we're going to start linking this to even performance management, start linking it to structures in businesses, start linking it to changing the system, 
you're going to have to start way down the list. I, I think personally, is this psychological safety and trustworthiness? Well, to me, I think that the, the foundations of anything positive is about that trustworthiness, and, and it's quite interesting. We've we've separated the two, and just they're not the same. Mm. And sometimes people say, "No, trust is psychological safety, and the trust is an aspect of psychological safety." I think it has to be there for you to be safe, but there's other things in place as well, and it's mm. about that fear. I can't remember who wrote it or the, the quote. It might be Stephen Covey wrote the speed of trust. And he says the sort of trust is the glue of all relationships, which I think is a really good way of looking at it. And also for somebody to trust you, they have to be willing to give you something that could harm them. Oh yeah. Very good. So if you look at that is what trust <clears throat> is. And then I think that links word, that word trustworthiness. So, <clears throat> It all sounds good in, in, in principle, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And, but the, the question, you know, I, I'm always going to get, and I do get, which is, yeah, but how do you do it then? You know, so, you know, the evidence is out there. Like you said, the studies are out there. Google had, did a whole project around it where it came out at five different things. What makes a team uber effective at Google? Um, psychological safety, number one, by a country mile. And there was other aspects to it as well. So, but people will always ask, well, how do you do it then? How do you do this stuff? Because it, it sounds hard because we've, we've, we've been working in a certain way for years and years and years. Well, that's it. But people say it sounds hard and that's what the, the, the barriers are up. And it's like, oh, that, yeah. that grips me. It says, well, no, just let's think about differently about how we do stuff, not try to shoehorn our current practices into delivering something we want that's different. And I think that's one of the issues. So partly is... Um, for me within learning development, because this is definitely a learning development field about, because it's a cultural change, it's a behavioral change. So it's therefore an attitudinal change or belief or attitude, whatever you want to call it. Because in my view, behaviors are an external demonstration of beliefs and values. So don't try to change behavior at behavior. It's too late. We can support the behavioral change, but we need to be looking much more about how, what are we going to be able to do to help people think differently, to help people look at it from a different perspective because we can't make people do anything either. So I think L&D is, is not about making people do anything. It's about influencing. So interestingly then, <coughs> excuse me, what we're really pointing towards is that all this stuff about being human, so all the stuff we're actually really, really good at, like connection and listening and, you know, these all stuff, we're, this, we're physically built and we're emotionally built to do this stuff. We're quite good at it. So what I always want to explore is, well, why can't we do it then? <laughs> why? Why You've got a team. Let's just take an individual team. And we're not going to say we're changing the organisation. We just want the team to function more like an ecosystem, to not need rules, not need, they need freedom. They need that level of accountability. They need just a fluidity, okay, that we're going to instill in them because we know that that being human bit is, is going to really, really make a difference to performance, okay? And not just performance, but happiness and creativity and innovation, all the buzzwords you can use in the thing. So how do we get, one, first of all, the fluidity in it, one, to start feeling safer, but also to enable it. Where would you, where would you start? I mean, I've got ideas, but where would you start, do you reckon? Um. I think one of the most powerful learning tools that we have and we rarely use is conversations. Okay. Yeah. So 
if I was working with teams, one of the first things goes back to what we were talking about earlier. What's the team's identity? I think to get a team to help. So I think one of the most powerful things we can do in within an organization is help develop team charters. Yeah, okay. Yeah. If every yeah. team created a charter about why do we exist, what do we need to achieve to deliver to to deliver deliver on that purpose? How do we know we've got there? How can we work together to achieve that? And how are we going to behave towards each other? If you can ask those five questions within a team and create the space where they can have that conversation and co-create that solution, then what you're now doing is allowing a whole organization to create its own solution at an individual level. So the whole organization is changing, but it's changing from the inside of everybody. It's funny how that I was going to, I was going to say, well, you need a set of rules. Rules? Kind of rules? It's psychological safety. That rules create, rules create fear. Actually, rules, just guide, these are guidelines and a team charter. I mean, I, I haven't worked with one of those for years. You know, I used to use them all the time and introduce them. But I hear, I hear that phrase a lot less. But actually a way of working. Now, think about the, the, the classic buzzword at the moment, being agile. <clears throat> How's that different to a team charter? Because there's a, there's a set of principles and there's a manifesto behind it that says we will act in this way. So I, I think you're right. I think even let's take a, just an individual team to build that more that fluid nature. Let's think about who we are, who we want to be and how we want to work together. And how often does that happen? I don't think I think we get we get stuck in conversations about task. Mm. What do you do? And I think that's part of the goes back to the generation stuff. You talk about generation Z and X and, and the differences. And partly, I think it's you've got to look. We're all human beings. It doesn't matter what generation you are. And un, underneath all of the layers, we pretty much all want the same thing. Whether you're sixty five or fifteen, we want to say we want that social connection. We want to have a reason for being. We want this. We want that. And we want that environment to be yeah. fulfilling for us. It's just because of the, our experiences and things, the layers and the, the perceptions of how we look at it could be slightly different. So when I was at school, I was asked questions, what do you want to be when you grow up? What job do you want? What job do you want? What job do you yeah, want? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were a lot of the questions, <clears throat> things we were experiencing in our generation was materialistically, as you say, living to work. So, sorry, working to live. And it was expected you would go to job for 40 years. What job do you want to be? You would be here and the loyalty to that organization. The, the organization was seen as king. Yeah. I think now Generation Z have just come up from an entirely different background. And I'm, I'm not an expert in it. As I say, if you want to know, it's uh, talk to the people from Gen Z Insights. Okay, cool. Because uh, they've done a lot of work on Generation Z. And Guy has been on one of my podcasts. So you can go back and listen to sort of the things he talks about. But if you think about how they grew up, the experiences around them. They ask themselves questions like, what do I want to achieve? Not what do I want to be? Mm. And I think they're questions they experience and are experienced to a far younger age than we ever were was around the why. I yeah. think we're much more the how and the what if you look at Simon Cernick's Golden Circle. I just yeah. think these people who are coming up now have been asking themselves the why question at a very, very young age where we never really had and therefore they're much more attuned to that sort of environment and that sort of experiences. So, so what we're saying really is the, the starting point, say you're a manager in a team of people, is instead of continually saying, what do we need to achieve? What do you do? 
and what do you need to achieve? How about who are you <laughs> and how will you go about achieving the stuff you want to achieve? Absolutely. So, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice if we could do... Imagine that engaging conversation. We were. It's just changing the questions. I mean, also, I think language is power and questions guide the minds. So the questions we ask people will help change the way we think and guide our thinking to an, another area. So imagine you've got your managers, your first-line managers sitting there in their performance management and say, right, guys, or girls, this is what we've got to achieve as part of a team for the organization. So we, this is this is the reason we're existing, not about what we've got to do, but why. why. Why do we play an important role in this organization? So at least you're helping tap into purpose for people. And say, knowing what you're good at and what you're interested in, what can you do to help us achieve that? Absolutely. What a question. What a question. When people say, oh, <laughs> da, 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 and then they're buying into it. And they said, how do you know you've achieved it? Oh, geez, now, people, yeah. people are setting their own KPIs. But because, yes. they're, because they're self-measuring, they're happy. It's not seen as a stick that can be hit me with. It's about me checking my personal progress against my own objectives. So absolutely, it just feels right, doesn't it? I mean, you know, I've been on my agile people journey for a few months now. And, and one of the things they talk about is OKRs, objectives, key results. And it's exactly that. It's not about, yes, of course, we need some performance metrics. Yes, of course, we need to know, are we on track and are we not on track? But they tend to be top down, don't they? They're, they're filtered down from the top and they, they get more and more, level of ambiguity as they filter down until you, you've got them we don't really know what you're doing and so it's highly demotivating to have an objective that you're not part of it just doesn't make sense so asking the question the other way which is okay well this is in the in the round what we need to achieve well what, what will you do as part of your role what will you do and that, that, yeah, your own personal KPIs. And then how about even beyond that, you coming up with them, agreeing them, but then what about the measurement of them? Who does that? Self-measure, wherever possible. Or, and what, how did you build on that? Because I think you can build on that. How about the team measure you? How about the, the, your, the performance is what you're happy with achieving and your percentage. But how about the team also get a say in how they think you've performed? What would that do, do you think? Now, the interesting thing you could do for this is just going for ideas here. Now, mm. I would, if you allow an, an organization to allow that sort of self, self, self feedback, so peer to peer yeah. feedback, which I think is a really powerful tool without a shadow of a doubt, is crowdsource feedback on people in real time. And I put uh, one of my notes the other day is I think one of the things LD can encourage in an organization, which is, is time, it requires a little bit of time. So very low in time investment and very low in money investment is peer-to-peer feedback mm. as a concept of developing and guiding performance <clears throat> and behaviors. So yeah, I'm totally with that. And what you could do, even if you had it as an app, a simple app system could be people just give you a rating one to five against certain aspects of how you are <laughs> and what have you. But eventually, and you can give them the choice of doing it anonymously or putting their name to it. Now what we're doing is hopefully that, and that to me is a good measure of the a metric of the level of psychological safety in my team. Hang on. Uh, How many people are willing to put their name to feedback to somebody? And, and they have to. I, I think it's that this is the core of it, that psychological safety is still not there if it's an anonymous number. Not really. I would the still name. 
sorry, I'll still keep the ability to be anonymous so we're not forcing mm-hmm. people and then let people make that freedom of choice. And I think that's a good metric of how many people voluntarily give their names. But think of what, what but think about what level of psychological safety you are reaching if nobody feels any kind of concern or fear about putting their name to something negative or positive. Oh, that, that's a different way of thinking completely. Absolutely. I th- as I say, that, that level of people willing to say, this is my name, this is me. So yes, Simon, I'm Scott. We interacted today. This is what I thought about it. Good, bad, or indifferent. And you go, and then the other bit of the psychological safety is you would go, okay, thank you. Because you know that that feedback is not there to destroy you, but to try and help you. So it's about that. The intent, I believe, is important in here. Is yeah, the intent, it is. And it's the understanding of that intent. Do I take that feedback as something that's going to help me develop and grow? Or do I take that feedback as this person's attacking me? Do I? And I think that goes back to that trustworthiness as you look at what's the motive behind that feedback that person's given me? Because motive we feel people have in their behaviours drives how trustworthy we see them and what they're doing in that action. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a whole... Many years ago, I worked, at, I worked for Sainsbury's for years and years, and I worked in a team, uh, <coughs> it was a lean sort of project team. And um, we had a set of rules. They were the, called the, I think the, it was called the nine golden rules. And it was essentially a team charter. But one of them was give feedback and give feedback often. Okay. And so after every meeting we had, and it, we were all little teams, it was like a coach, um, an analyst, and, and another sort of uh, sub coach if you like so there were all these three little teams and we worked on these big kind of lean projects and um, one of the things that we used to get all the time was after every meeting we had okay be it with a supplier be it with uh, buyers or be it with just ourselves we had to give each other feedback on our performance straight afterwards can't tell you how uncomfortable it was <laughs> so often because you had to do it is what you did and everyone gave feedback on each other well Simon I think you folded your arms for most of the meeting and I thought that looked a bit you know didn't look very good you know or you put your leg up a bit too much or you, you, your language went a bit negative in the middle and it was inc- incredibly hard to do for a period of time and then it just became normal and the level of the speed that you grow at with that kind of feedback is incredible because one if you did something it was a bit rubbish you don't do it again <laughs> or if it's really good it re- reinforces more positivity so we found that the level of growth and accountability personal accountability just shoots through the roof and because we all know what we're focusing towards and it was just to be better and achieve the things we were setting out to achieve. And then once you reduce that barrier of it's negative feedback and therefore I'm not going to like it, um, to, oh, well, whatever I get is going to help me grow even more and will achieve even more as a group of people, which is even better, it just becomes so valuable. So I think, you know, to put that into the workplace now and you label it as psychological safety that we're, we're, we're brave we're going to be braver in taking it and giving it 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 brings results it really does yeah. i think so if we go back to where we think l and d can play in that is one is i think build build the framework to allow that to happen however that is but also i think we've got to look at how can we support that continuing in the workplace which goes on something else we talked about before we go intensity versus consistency yeah so we can say right we're going to 
we're going to introduce this and it's a big bang and for the first month everyone gives feedback and then it dwindles off yeah um, so we've got to be looking then at the ecosystem which is what you talk about the, the um, ecosystem around that team and the organization to help maintain that so things what we're going to do so this is where i think lnd can really play a role is moving away from seeing themselves as the owner of the learning to the curator of learning in an organization mm-hmm. and therefore becoming a key stakeholder and seeing themselves as partnering who do we need to partner with to encourage <clears throat> in the workplace the continuation of this type of behavior that we would like to see yeah that's the next part of the question about where we move from to me, LD is one of the biggest moves is to move from think, seeing ourselves as the owner, as the curator, and then not that we have to do it, but we then work with other people as well. So we get that accountability for learning across the organization. Absolutely. I think, you know, for LD to become not, I mean, we all hear the same stuff, order takers, and, you know, we haven't got a place around the table. You know, in some of these businesses that are already doing it, like Spotify and Google, you know, there isn't a pure L&D function. <clears throat> it is more, one, everyone is L&D. <laughs> so everyone learns to coach each other and work with each other. But particularly, I think L&D has to become that more, I always use the word facilitate, facilitate the growth and learning. Just be the people, or that, that phrase, don't be the, be the, the, the sage on the stage, be the guide on the side. And I think if we can start to show that the value, I think that the value in guiding people and in the right direction all the time and being that bit of a framework, you know, those, uh, that, those, whole, those hands that just keep it going, that's where the value is. But only if we are able to properly work with the powers that be and show them the commercial benefits of continuing to do it. Because that's, for me, another big side of it here. Well, it's all the fluffy stuff, isn't it? It's all the soft stuff. It's soft skills. Actually, it's not. All of this works directly with your bottom line. And I think as L&D, if we get sharper at being able to show and prove that, I don't see why we won't have a place around the table. Um, I think one of the key questions, I mean, there's different ways we can go about getting ourselves from where we are to where we want to be. And I think that goes back to what we said before is about that self-identity even with L&D, we need to understand how people perceive us in the organization today, because that's not changing today, but that's the place we're building from. So you'd have a different strategy or a different plan, depending on where we're starting from. But I totally agree with where you're talking about. that. It's about having that linkage to what we're doing. So data and analysis, I think, is going to be an important aspect of what we should be yeah. doing. And working with people and say, okay, so if we're going to do this, this is what business needs is this delivering because people don't pay for your training. They pay for the outcomes. They pay for the performance. That's what's, that's what people give you a training budget for. They don't give you a training budget to train. They give you a training budget to improve performance and business output. And, but why, but again, how, how often do we really measure it? How often are we allowed to measure it? You know, I mean, every client I've worked with, you know, I, I gone in and said, right, this is how I do things. Okay. So I'm completely all about the measurement. So I'm going to, and the way we're going to do that, we're going to look at if you, any HR data you've got that I can have <clears throat> anything around performance metrics, KPIs, give it to me. Okay. And we will come up with a plan that helps improve the important ones, depending on whatever the, the, the program is. But then I also say, well, 
I also want to be able to gather anecdotal information and feedback. I want to get actual feedback. And so I always go into it with my eyes open and say, look, I'm prepared to put my neck on the block and say that I can change enough to move a metric in the right direction, which is about performance and is about money. OK, I will do that if you let me put it all in place. Do you know how many times someone lets me put all of that in place? Hardly ever. <laughs> Even when I lead with it and say, look, you're paying the money. Why don't you have a number one? Do you not want to really measure me on this? And they say yes sometimes, and then it all just kind of fades away. And I bring it all back again and say, right, well, should we do some, you know, do you want to just look, look through some of the data, look some of the metrics? Oh, yeah, we can, but it seems to be going well. So we still, <laughs> I wonder how much we need to put our foot on the gas on that and say, no, I'm not, we, we are going to do it. We are going to continue down this data and feedback route so you fully understand what we, what we add here rather than just go, oh, well, that really need, they seem happy. What do you think? Um, I, th I think it's a perennial problem within L&D is about that perception of how can we measure what we're doing in the impact. And it's interesting, I was reading a, some <clears throat> last week from Mind Tools. Mm. The perception of learning and development from senior managers is that they would love learning development to be much more aligned to longer-term goals and aspirations, whereas they see L&D as a short-term transactional mm. deliverer. So I think it is about us, and you have to have the duality because we still need to function today. We still need to, the skills are needed today. We need to get people with the skills, but again, the ability to deliver the skills but we also need to look at what's the longer term plan. So I think, again, going back from that intensity and consistency, I think we should move from thinking about training mm. in its isolation to looking at what's the program needed. How does this all fit together? Let's look at this journey. And I think COVID is helping that really, because I think we're looking at learning now in a much more as a longer approach. Whereas mm. before it was, I'm going to buy face-to-face -face training. I'm going to send people on a training course. I think more now because of the, what COVID has allowed providers to do external and internal is create that longer journey and create different ways of working uh, so hopefully that's accelerated some of these changes that i think were needed for us to be more effective yeah yeah i think then bringing it all back down to the, the sort of psychological safety bit and the trustworthiness we're sort of talking about you know <clears throat> that's where i'd like to see us evolve more begin to have that conversation which is around we're changing the business isn't it it's it's, it's really sort of saying well that if we know this stuff works <clears throat> well here's the proof and it is happening out there all over the place like i think we we talked earlier i said like google spotify um there's a number of the big banks who are adapting uh, taking this on now not with the buzzword agile but <clears throat> just on making people work together in a in a, in a different way how do we begin, what, what do we need in place to become the, the facilitators of that so that we begin to change not just the culture of the business as well? I mean, maybe you start small, not classic Simon Sinek here, early adopters, try it. I think HR probably are the, might be the drivers of this as well. They might be a good place to start. Um, but it's just that being brave again, I think that the braveness of an organization to say, okay, there's a better way out there, or HR and indeed say, there's a better way. 
actually not just a better way, there's a future way of working. That's the way to look at it. There's a future way of working. We've, we've done that. It hasn't always worked, has it? You know, the system's a bit broken. Performance management, management's a bit crap, isn't it? But we haven't got anything else. Well, you have, you're just not looking hard enough. So what's a future way of working? What does that mean to our organisation? I mean, that's, that, they're the conversations, you know, I love to have. Yeah. And interestingly, that's where senior management want L&D. <clears throat> what, the future. They want them to be looking at things like, so we call them, again, going back to this research, the, the, the priorities that they think L&D should have is one about the quality of what we produce. Yeah. And then thinking about transformation and change. And then digital capabilities. Mm. So those are all, most of those are future focused. Most of those are sort of medium to long-term future focused. And that's where senior management want. L&B, L&D to be doing and concentrating on and delivering on. They just, the perception of them now is they're still, as I say, still doing that transaction, transactional short-term view of what needs to change. And I think that's a lot of how the organizations use L&D as well. So line managers mm-hmm. will say, I've got a member, a member of staff who's underperforming, needs a training course, go and put them on a training course. So mm-hmm. I think it's been used historically as more as that transactional fixing things. And I do believe that, I mean, I've spoken to hundreds, if not thousands of people in L&D over the years. Is there is a real desire to make that difference mm. within L&D to say, do you know what? We can do this. Most people in L&D or a lot of people <clears> are there because they want to make a difference. Yeah, no, that's true. Absolutely. And I just think it's having that, as you say, the bravery is important. And well, I would say start with ourselves. So if we would like an organization to become more agile and do this, what are we doing within our team to role model, practice, try, <clears throat> finalize, iterate experiment with to see if this what works more effectively or not effectively and then you're demonstrating that <clears throat> work, but you're doing the experimentation the proof of proof of concepts for want of a better word yeah 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 absolutely i mean if you've um <clears throat> read elvin turner's book on innovation you know be less zombie it a lot of it talks around how do you create the right environment first you know, not just about the budget and how you do it and your know, big big pots of ideas. <clears throat> it's so much about that ecosystem and the growth, you know. And um, <clears throat> sorry, where I was going to go with that was that you might get, they might say, oh, yeah, but it doesn't work within this. You know, it's like putting a, a square, peg, square, square peg into a round hole. You know, the system is fixed. <clears throat> how can we add this fluidity to it that it doesn't work within the system? Well, it is time to smash the system. That's exactly it. That we've we've got to, that braveness. It's got to start somewhere because if we don't, it just, just won't happen. And it's that you like proof of concept. Proof is in the pudding. You know, look, we are making it work, and not just we're making it work. We're smashing it out of the park, and it's making a difference. We've tried it. We like to try it with. We like to try it with. We like to try it with. And it's exactly <clears throat> bizarrely that's what I did with this lean team in Sainsbury's we were almost like out we were a team of some consultants and internal people all brought in to do a big transformation piece of work on 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 cost savings and we were pretty much loathed from the word go because we were telling people how to do things differently or saying look there's another way that's all it is it's just another way why don't you try it no 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 but eventually the more success we had on the back 
of things and people were like wow this this works oh it does yes that's right we knew that and then the excitement builds and then instead of having to go and sell it to people people started coming to us and it's the same that's how i that's how i think you know if you are in a big organization as lnd it's start with yourselves start with hr make it happen and then see how build the excitement i think it's <clears throat> partly and i think we can learn an awful lot from our departments like marketing as well so how we, how we phrase it how we do it how we sell it how we segment the people we're looking and looking to serve and also then what are we doing to market ourselves within an organization as lnd how are we going to effectively market ourselves and then think about if you work well with a department then how can you encourage that word of mouth marketing from the departments that actually say, yeah, I worked with them. This is what they did for me. And this is how it worked. And this is the, I, I, it's great. And then <clears> you can then start, as you say, you might not be able to change the whole organization overnight, highly unlikely, but what you can do. And I think that's sometimes the, the mistake being there. We look at the, we look at the whole instead of the individual. All changes inside out. <laughs> yeah. All changes, persons. A person's got to sit there, and they've got to <clears throat> use of that word, but persons explore, why is this change for me? How's it going to benefit me? And then they make that decision to go on board with that or not go on board with that change. That's a personal choice everybody in your organization makes in any change you ever do. So I think if we can then in L&D say, right, okay, so let's buy into it ourselves first and demonstrate we, 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 we can show it. I think <clears throat> it's an important aspect. So practice what we preach for want of a better phrase. And then who in your organization is more open to some concepts or ideas yeah Who, yeah 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 <clears throat> now what do we need to do what now what is this person's key thing they're trying to fix okay have a conversation with them what can you do to support them how can you introduce some of these things that you these ideas and your concepts to support them hitting a clear definable business outcome that they're they 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 want to achieve now they're more open to your suggestions than perhaps other people for a variety of reasons then they're going to be much more open to the conversation, but also the conversation is linked to how you're going to help them do what they need to do. Absolutely. Got a clear business metric at the end, which is your measurable outcome. Yeah. Um, I think if then you do that for a couple of times and then more, let's say more and more people hear about it. You've got more evidence to support what you're doing. And you say, then hopefully you get sort of, it's not outbound marketing is inbound marketing. People come to you and say, hello. Absolutely. And if you, I've used the word ecosystem a couple of times, which is, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, I understand that anyone might listening might think, oh, bloody hell, Simon, you know, we've got to have functions, you know, <laughs> we've got to run the business, you know, what's this ecosystem, you know, we're not bees, but what, how does an ecosystem work? It's not just designed, you know, or it, it can be, but actually it grows, it becomes a living thing, that, that's the point living it's a living thing and it means that sometimes it won't work and in nature over millions of years things will evolve and not work and then try something new so we need that as well which brings us all the way back to the psychological safety bit again which is you know if it doesn't work that's fine but let's make sure we're giving feedback and we can have that conversation and we can say no it's not working for me it's not working for my team i'm not happy so we bring it all the way back and then keep building on it. And then that's how our ecosystem begins to grow out with the right people. So it's, um, yeah. It's a more organic way of looking at organizations rather than a functional way of looking at organizations. 
or if you want the, the technical, what is it, the mechanistic versus organic view of organizations? Yeah. So do we do we build it and create it, or do we have a have a framework and allow it to evolve as is necessary and required? I mean, um, if you're tens of thousands of people, maybe that's going to be a lot harder. We understand a lot of the smaller business, especially tech businesses, it's what they do. It's how they do it. It's where a lot of this stuff has come from. Mm. But doesn't mean it's impossible. It can't be. <laughs> that comes back to that growth mindset and looking at it, we can go on, we can do a whole thing on that growth mindset. But I think there's something <laughs> you said that reminded me, and I think it goes back to Elvin's book, but I can't remember what it was now. When we, and I think this is a really important aspect of what we're talking about. Be careful about what we define as success. Mm, yeah. <clears throat> I think that's really cool. So especially if you're doing stuff and you, you, you're, you're open, to the, open to things not working, that's great. So we don't need to define and reward success by achieving of something. Mm. Can we define the success and reward, the capturing of the learning that we've done in that process and how f- yeah. feed that learning back, which is what you're talking about, the feedback back into the system to learn from and develop. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> I mean, that would be, uh, be great. That's just a lovely Imagine us, imagine us as learning and development professionals being able to do that. So we're going to try this. We're actually not sure if it's going to work, but we think it might. I mean, we've got enough data to say it probably will, but it might not. Can we ever go anyway? <laughs> God, that's 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 be working in an organisation one with good psychological safety. Yeah, get on and do it. Two with a, a view on the, with a an eye on the future. Mm-hmm. Again, is is exactly where you know i mean i think even if you look at how teams and organizations think about themselves none of these business not all businesses will last forever we know that as the years have gone by <clears throat> was it maybe only like 50 years ago or maybe 70 years ago a business would last potentially 100 years and as time has moved on that number has dropped and dropped and dropped and the average life of a business now, five to 10 years in its absolute, you know, five to 10 years. It doesn't seem possible, does it? There'd be people working or listening to this saying, my business will be around in 10 years, will it? And I think possibly that's where Gen Z look at the world differently because obviously when we grew up, businesses were lasting 100 years. It was not un- unusual to like, the school doors to open work doors to open you move from one to the other and then the work doors open you go into retirement it was very much more a static world in which we we were we expected to go into and now that as you say the world has changed immeasurably and it's much more fluid than it ever has been and these these things these sort of stalwarts that we could we could rely on trust i don't think that it's there that as much there's not so much confidence in that in things survivability and adapt as, as so it is much more about the adaptability than survivability yeah i think what's good i think what covid has brought us is a different view on change and that the fact that these some of these some of the things that have changed within a year you know exponential change which we were having exponential change anyway just in but we just weren't all paying attention to it it was happening but you know we weren't all paying full attention now we are because we've had to so we've actually moved much, much faster towards a better direction, which is, which is awesome. But what we now need to do is not take our foot off the gas. Now we've got an opportunity. 
And um, <clears throat> I did a piece on this uh, probably last year, actually. So not all businesses will get this. Not all, and it's been the human side of it that's come through. Even though it's now digital, we've had to find new ways to engage with each other. Um, and it won't ever replace actually being with people, but we found new ways. And I think there'll be some of the businesses that go, oh, do you know what? This kind of human first approach, is, this is the way forward now. We've learned and it's the way forward. And some will really grasp that and take it for and take it. Some will might pick up certain elements of it. Some won't. Some will just go back to the day job. They'll have to put everyone back in the office and they won't, they won't remember how important it was to trust people to work from home and how much how, how, how their performance went up during that time. And they get everyone back and they'll be back to where they were. But as human beings, we've had enough of that. So we'll move on. I think we've had a taste of what it could be like. Yeah. That's it. And interesting what you're saying is you listen to the language as well of people and say, right, I can't wait for it to go back. I think, well, that again is not the language of putting your foot on the floor, uh, foot on the accelerator and pushing forward. Mm. I think we can learn from what we've learned in COVID. Again, that's what do you define success? And you can ask teams when they come back together again, say, what is it about working the way we've worked over the last year that you have found really beneficial and you want to keep. Yeah. No matter what happens, is this the, an aspect of learning, mm-hmm. working the way we did that you would like to keep? Then you can ask the teams again, it's crowdsource the answers in there. You yeah. can ask the teams, okay, how can we work together keeping what everyone in this team valued the most out of what happened in COVID, but still hit our targets, mm. hit our performance objectives? still deliver what we're, we're the purpose we're here. But what we're trying to do is find a way of delivering it that's aligned with what every individual in our team valued and wanted to keep. So some people say, Joe, I don't want to walk back in the office. Other people might say, Joe, I can't wait to go back into the office. Other people might say, I want a bit of both, which I think is where a lot of people might lie. Yeah. And you can then say, right, okay, so how can we as a team? You don't have to have, you don't have to choose everyone back, everyone at home or a hybrid model. Why can't you allow the teams themselves to choose how they want to work, which is appreciating the individual requirements of everyone in that team. Yeah, cool. Yeah, lovely. Absolutely lovely. I mean, it's, it'd be an amazing, it's an amazing prospect if, if a business would allow that. I mean, it's, you know, I think with the, not even the hybrid version, but I think I was, I keep talking to people about that, this side of things and the digital side of things just working is great we can work from home now prove that and actually we work better you know in many many cases some people don't fair enough but we still we still miss the human side of things so i can really see a time where people just work remotely when it's just working but when they need and understand the human aspect of being together they get together (laughs) and spend some time together because you still need to be in front of someone i think that's one of the things we have lost is the full understanding of what it actually physically feels like to be with someone but i think that that would it makes that's the way you know if we better start behaving better as human beings let's use that to its full advantage being together having ideas sharing emotions all that stuff but when we don't need that when it's just doing the work spreadsheets or just you're eating here and there fine Let's, let's just use the tech let the tech do the work you know 
but when it needs to have a when we need to be real human beings let's be together let's find and let's work out where those times are as well i like you know, that. So. and i think it's, it's it, i think what covid has taught us mm. which is not to be new anyway but it's all demonstrated if we look at the requirement to have that human human interaction that we have because of the things that the, the mental health issues we've got and organizations having to try and work out different ways of connecting with staff because they're not in the office anymore and then to me i think if i was that if we've now shown how important it is that we interact with each other as human beings and how important that is for our mental health mm-hmm. what are we going to do and make sure that the interactions we do have within our organization are as healthy as they possibly could be which goes back to that cycle because we now Doesn't know it? how important they are yeah. what's the point of having all that emotional connection or physical connection we need but in a really negative way that's causing us distress it comes so. back to that fear it's fear again what where is you know when it comes to mental health what what is that you know where why are we suffering more and more and more is it fear is it is it you know and then fear can what does that affect self-belief confidence inability to say something out loud be judged who knows you know it's one small part of mental health i know but we can do more and it's really right it comes straight back to psychological safety you know who am i how do i work mm-hmm. what's important to me and can i have those conversations because then you're going to one i'm going to feel good hopefully and two you're going to get the best out of me Absolutely. and i want to do it <laughs> that's even more exciting I, think, I mean, the question is just as you were talking, something just came into my mind is how tiring is it where you have to think about being a different persona when you're in work than your real self? That must be exhausting, physically and mentally draining. Because as you say, you're trying to be a different person. If you want to tell people, but you're not, you, you don't feel safe to do so, or you, whatever's happening, but you don't feel as if you safely can be yourself, then you are going to put a mask on or a, a, a facade and live that facade. That must be tiring if there's a massive disconnect to what you really want and what you how you have to behave at work. I, I just don't know why you'd want to play that that part in that particular show. You know, why do you want to be different people? I mean, okay, fair enough. I do understand that, you know, you might have a slightly different, more professional persona at work. Well, look at me, you know, look at me, all my tattoos and you know, and stuff. And you know, I like to be this version of me. But yeah, I do know that certain aspects I have a, you know, maybe I slightly sharpen the edges a bit, just to, depending on the business I'm in. But it's still got to be a big part of you coming through. It, it just has, because you're right, it's exhausting. And it's it's a heavy thing to carry around, trying not to be yourself and trying to be someone else. But equally, from your own performance perspective, if, you, if you're pretending to be something you're not. Absolutely. It's even worse. We've got all the way, everything we've come back to, we can always link it back to that very first thing. And it was the start of the question. It was about that quote, which started an hour-long discussion, one <laughs> quote, which meanders across various fields. So I would just like to say thank you very much, Simon. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, that was uh, great. Thanks. Really You're more than welcome. Really so what are we going to call it? How might we? How might we? Oh, what is it? I don't want to say, I don't want to use the phrase psychological safety because you get trapped in stuff like that. I don't get trapped in buzzwords. I just want, how might we be more 
human in the workplace? I don't know if that's too simple. I don't know if it's too broad. <laughs> but how about we just be us in the workplace? Yes. How about that? How can we just be us in the workplace? Oh, that's quite nice. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> we can go in all the, as you say, we can, and I'm not a great fan of jumping on, let's say, labels and things around. So we could talk about psychological safety, we could talk about authentic leadership, and we could talk about all these types of things. And it really, most of it boils down to that thing. You know, there's, an, there's a subject I'd love to talk about at some point. The death of the manager. What's that? The death of the manager or the manager role. Because I think that's dying. I think it's going to, I think it's, it's not going to have a place forever. Or the manager role has to become something so different in the future way of working. It will no longer be task focused. It will be fully coaching and facilitating everything else it's I'd love to be that way and i think we still yes with with an eye on the goal eye on the prize i think it's that two thing is it and again what you're talking about is that the marrying or the alignment for another horrible uh, yeah, alignment <laughs> the matching of the business and its people in a network and I, I think the role of the leadership and management in an organization is is trying to get a point where if we can align or get individuals individually motivated to achieve something that's aligned to the organization outcomes then we're there and that to me is the role of leadership however that may to go with our with how we how we how we talk to people how we set the organization up how we uh, divide the workflow and everything else and how we support and encourage in the environment which we set up it's all about yeah. if we can get people individually motivated to achieve something that's aligned with what the organization needs at the same time, then you are laughing, I think, as a business. It sounds like utopia. We're almost talking about talking, talking about it in a kind of, wow, wouldn't that be amazing? Business, there, but there are businesses doing it. We just don't, I don't think we share it. I don't think we learn enough and say, look, and, and it's never going to be perfect. You are going to get it wrong. All right. But if you don't try, you're never going to know either. So it's, it's not about a perfect, perfect perception and, and utopia of it all working so amazingly and everyone running around holding hands and it's, it's just the most beautiful scenario. You know, it's, it works work. You know, sometimes it'd be shit. <laughs> sometimes you get it wrong. But actually, if overall you're getting it right, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Well, if we get it wrong, one of the things you do learn is what you shouldn't be doing. Exactly. So... Thanks. That's cool. But I think, again, some of the fear of making mistakes at an organisation level reduces that. And we're, we're off again, so we better stop or else we'll be there. <laughs> there people will be sitting there falling asleep in there. <laughs> All right. Well, look, that's, it's been awesome. And until the next one. Yeah, I mean, until brilliant. Next one. So just like, like <laughs> Simon, thank you very much for your time. Hold on. <laughs>